السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد um, I want to welcome all of you for uh, being with us I'm hoping that everyone can hear me fine can someone just do me a sound check please very quickly away so someone just so that I can make sure everyone can hear me fine and that we're good to go Okay, Jazakallah khair. So, okay folks, welcome to the beginning of year three of QP. Um, as you can see, some things are kind of the same, so I'm still stuck in the same room in my house because we haven't yet uh, started doing our durus and lectures in the masjid. And at the same time, um, you know, some of the things that we're, we're going to be uh, discussing and doing will be similar to us. So some things have changed, some things are still the same. Um, I hope that everyone, Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept everyone safe, that you've had, uh, you had a very good Ramadan and a good summer break and you had um, a, good, uh, a good Eid al-Adha as well. But now inshallah ta'ala we're ready for year number three for QP. And subhanAllah we're just thinking how quickly that time has gone. It's like our third year now of Quranic progression. I remember very clearly the first day that we started uh, when myself and, and Sheikh Abu Isa launched QP over two years ago when we were in the Masjid al-Hikmah Masjid some two years ago and we began our journey with tafsir and within two years now two years have, have flown by so quickly and we're already into year number three and that subhanallah itself shows you how quickly time goes and how uh you know how if we don't use that time wisely it's going to be something which escapes us and we're going to find it very difficult to to make up for that time that is that is lost so before we begin, we're going to begin uh, year three with the tafsir of Surah Al-Zalzala. So last year, alhamdulillah, we finished up to Surah Al-Adiyat. And this year, we're going to continue. We'll start off from Surah Al-Zalzala and continue as we've been doing, uh, working our way backwards throughout the Quran. But before we begin, just a couple of things. The first thing that I wanted to uh, wanted to mention is um, over Ramadan, I did a course, a, a, uh, a whole series on the tafsir of Jalalain, which was held at Green Lane Masjid. In fact, the very last lesson that we had of QP year two was an introduction to that course. It was a special that we did on the life of Imam uh, Suyuti and Imam Jalaluddin al-Mahalli, the two Jalals who were the authors of the tafsir of Jalalain. And we spoke about their methodology also in the tafsir. And that was the last thing that we did at the end of year two. We then broke up for obviously the summer months, but during Ramadan, I'm sure a number of you probably followed this and were aware of this, but if you're not, we did um, a whole month of series where we read the entirety of Tafsir al-Jalalain from cover to cover in the English language uh, with commentary from beginning to end. So that's the whole Tafsir of the Quran that we did. They were long three-hour sessions every single day throughout Ramadan. But alhamdulillah, we managed to finish and complete the whole Tafsir of the Quran. And that's a very nice complimentary thing to QP. Uh, that's one of the reasons that I wanted to do that is to give us something uh, that gives us a very good understanding of the Quran. Tafsir al-Jalalain, for those of you that have followed it or for those of you that are aware of it and have read that book before, is a, a an amazing tafsir and it's a tafsir which isn't simple. It's not a basic standard tafsir, but at the same time, it's not too advanced either. It is, I would put it towards the intermediary category because the Jalalain, go the two imams, Jalaluddin al-Siyuti and al-Mahalli, they go to some level of detail which makes it a tafsir that is enjoyable, a tafsir that brings in different sciences, 
into the study of the Quran. But at the same time, it's not like Al-Qurtubi or even Kathir or even Al-Tabari that it's very long and full of narrations and full of opinions and so on, which can make obviously for it to be something which is extremely long. The reason I'm mentioning this is because we have the whole of Jalalain in video and we have it all in audio as well for podcasts. And then uh, we have our, mashallah, amazing transcribing team, that team that you you know, you benefit from their notes, their transcribed notes, the snapshots, the summaries, all of the notes that you have on the portal, which if you're still unaware of what they've been doing, you need to check that out because that team of sisters, may Allah protect them and preserve them and reward them generously. While the rest of us have been kind of chilling out throughout the summer, they've still been working. So not only have they caught up with year one, all of the transcribed notes that we missed from year one, year two is up to date and they've been working on the Tafsir Jalalin notes as well. And I hope that inshallah ta'ala all of that will soon be ready for you and uploaded onto our portal so that that's another resource that we have. And that's something which is amazing. And inshallah ta'ala, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the ability and the life and the uh, you know the tawfiq to do so, inshallah, next Ramadan, maybe we'll take another book of Tafsir that's been translated into English and do a similar reading. And the point of these Tafsir isn't to go into depth. This is what we're doing in QP. QP is our in-depth Tafsir. That's where we spend like, you know, uh, an hour just on a single verse or, you know, we spend months on a single surah. What Jalalain was for, Jalalain is, uh, and these other tafasir is to give you a reading and commentaries, to familiarize you with the Quran. And one of the methodologies of the scholars of the past and even till today is that they like to do readings with brief commentaries. It's one of the ways of seeking knowledge before you get to that in-depth level as well, because it's something which helps you, inshallah ta'ala. So yes, uh, a message from Tico's. Uh, I think that's called Tikos. Tafsir Jalalin from Ramadan will be added to here, yes. So already the videos are available at the Greenland Masjid YouTube page. If you go to the YouTube page of Greenland Masjid in Birmingham in the UK, you'll find those videos there anyway. But if you uh, want to wait, because not only will we have the videos, but we'll, we'll give you audio as well, inshallah ta'ala, which will be just for the podcast, which will help you as well for those of you that like to listen to this stuff as you drive or you do other stuff. And then the transcribed notes, which um, the Tafsir Jalalin is already translated into English. The transcribed notes are the notes that I made or the commentary that I gave whilst we were studying that tafsir. So that's something which, inshallah ta'ala, is a resource that I, uh, alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm, I thank Allah Azza wa Jalla that we had the ability to do so. And I think people were, um, you know, f- for, from the feedback that I got, people were just happy. You, you feel a sense of achievement having finished the tafsir of the whole Quran. Because most of us struggle to perhaps even read the Quran in Arabic you know, from cover to cover, even in Ramadan, and then let alone the translation, let alone doing a tafsir of the Qur'an. And so that's something which, inshallah ta'ala, I hope that you will benefit from and use as well. Um, also, second point, uh, these are like a couple of housekeeping points before we begin. Um, the second point is that I do actually want you to go and check out those notes that we have on the transcribed notes uh, on the portal that we have. They are an amazing resource. And one of the reasons... You know, just to renew our intentions at the beginning of year three, one of the reasons that we're doing tafsir and we're doing tafsir in this way is because we don't just want to learn the Quran, but we want to leave a legacy through the Quran. And together, inshallah ta'ala, by studying, by by advising one another, by learning together, what we're leaving behind is a legacy, inshallah, in the English language for people who will come after us and want to learn about the Quran, rather than people who have to uh, you know, go to the Arabic sources or resources or, or references in other languages. This is something, inshallah, which will be available in English. Now, one of the things that we want is to have a wholesome approach to our study of the Quran. So you have video and you have audio and you have written notes as well. And to have all of that together in a single place is something which, inshallah ta'ala, will make this venture unique and worthwhile, bithni ta'ala, in this life and in the next. 
So uh, that's the second thing. I, I really want you to check out and benefit from that and also to make dua for the sisters who are working uh, very, very hard behind the scenes in, in achieving that. The third thing is the exam that we did. So a couple of points about the exam. Um, one of the things is um, no waste. Unfortunately, there's no brothers on that transcribing team, as far as I know, anyway. Uh, but if you're offering, uh, then then uh, you're more than welcome. Um, okay, so regarding the exam. So one of the things, as you've noticed over the last, you know, even before Ramadan, the last couple of months, things have been very up in the air, you know, like with Masajid closing down, everything moving online. Um, you know, things have kind of... Uh, kind of become a bit more difficult and alhamdulillah we got used to it throughout Ramadan and so on but one of the things that I think um, that I want to apologize for and I think that that kind of suffered in the process through no fault of anyone's just because it was the situation that we're in but I think that one of the things that did kind of suffer was the exam um, I think that that was something which did suffer so the exam uh, which I don't set the brothers who, who do the revision sessions and do kind of like the background work they kind of like do the sessions and they kind of set the exam and they do it so that inshallah is student led you know we see what our students are learning and taking from it and it's something which they which they do as well I would normally review the exam but because of what was going on and everything that's happening that didn't happen this year either so um, but I think that the standard of the exam I think wasn't up to to the level and the standard that we should expect as students of the Qur'an and students of Qur'anic progression. I think that we were used to and we had a better level of exams in the first year. And I think we should expect to be challenged in our in our study of the Qur'an. So the exam is in there because at the end you're going to get a certificate. You're not getting anything, you're not getting a degree from this. The exam is there to help you to revise and retain that knowledge and to learn it and to understand it and to make sure through the exam that it is something which you've understood. So... With that in mind, I think that some of the questions, uh, you know, could have been harder. I think some of them, frankly, were very easy and, and not something which, um, you know, which I would necessarily put out there. So um, that's something which I just wanted to mention. And again, this isn't to assign blame to anyone. It's not to, to you know, mashallah, for those of you that took the exams, you did amazing. And I'm going to read out some of the high scores. And that's not to diminish from anyone's efforts or hard work or anything. But I think that it's something which we should be frank about, right? And we should acknowledge where we make shortcomings and where we need to improve. And I think from, from my point of view, that's something that inshallah ta'ala from next year we will look very hard at to improving the level of exams because we want to study in an environment where we are challenged. Right? And that's why I go to so much depth in my tafsir. I don't make this a basic tafsir. Doing a basic tafsir is far easier for me, less time from me, less effort from me, less, you know, it's, it's so easy to do. The reason why we're going into so much depth is because it challenges us. It challenges me. It challenges you, it challenges our research, it challenges maybe what we've heard already about the Qur'an because a lot of what we have in the English language doesn't go into a great deal of depth and different views and so on. And just like the last surah that we mentioned, right? I think everyone that's ever heard a tafsir of that surah or read a translation will know that those descriptions at the beginning of surah al-adiyat refer to horses. That's the standard one. But we found also that there was a body of companions from the time of the companions, from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anh, Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anh, let alone other scholars who came after them, who held the view and the position that actually Allah is describing camels as they make hajj rather than horses as they go into war. That's something which we want to understand at this level of tafsir. Maybe it's not something which we want to understand if we're doing a basic tafsir or if we're just kind of doing like a, a, a simple translation type of tafsir where we're just going through the general meanings of the verses. But at this level, we do. We want to challenge ourselves not only in the way that we study the Quran, but also in the way that we 
approach our study of the Quran because that is how you improve as a student and that's how you um, also improve as um, as someone who comes closer to Allah Azzawajal through knowledge. And I've just been corrected by Amreen. Alhamdulillah, the transcribing team has now been joined by Salih, who is our youngest number at the tender age of 14. MashaAllah, MashaAllah, that's amazing to hear. And that's something which is also amazing to hear, right? To see, inshallah, our young brothers and sisters take part in this and become part of that legacy because that's really what we do this for, inshallah ta'ala, to pass down this knowledge onto the next um, the next generation. So quickly, just to run through some of the things in the exam, um, I think some of the questions were good questions as well. So for example, question number one, which of the two surahs were taken by many scholars to be one surah? Or they considered, as a number of the scholars, consider them to be an extension of one another. And you had a number of options, Surah Fil and Baqarah, Surah Ma'un and Surah Quraysh, Surah Quraysh and Surah Muhammad, or Surah Fil and Surah Quraysh. Right? And the example and the um, answer obviously would be Surah Fil and Surah Quraysh. Right? And that's again something which you wouldn't find just from a normal tafsir. It's going to that deeper level where you understand that actually there were some scholars who considered them to be an extension of one another, even though that they are two separate surahs. Um, Another example, another question, and I'm just going to pick through. I'm not going to go through obviously each one because there were like some forty odd questions, and that is uh, that is very long to do. In in Surah Quraysh, one of the um, you know a number of the questions were regarding Surah Quraysh, and remember that in Surah Quraysh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, what He's doing is He's reminding the Quraysh of His favors on them, upon them, from His favors. Ali Azza wa Jal upon the Quraysh is their journeying from Sham to Yemen, the different caravans that they have that bring in trade and commerce and money and business. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also telling them within that to remember his other greater blessings upon them, from the blessing of being in harmony, the blessing that they weren't in, in constant civil war, that they didn't have warfare in Mecca, as many of the other clans and tribes of Arabia had within their respective regions. From them is the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought business to them in Mecca because of all of the pilgrims and the people who would come and make Mecca their trading center. The Quraysh benefit from all of this. And so that's one of the main points that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings in this surah to the people of, of Quraysh. Uh, one of the questions was Surah Quraysh verse 4. Allah speaks about fear of hunger and fear of safety because... And the... Um, the and again the question is or the answer to that is because of those two you know blessings the blessing of fear or the blessing rather of safety takes away the element of fear and therefore they don't have to worry as Arab, other Arab tribes did that they would be attacked that they, they would have civil war amongst them that other clans and tribes would come and try to usurp their position and their authority and Allah Azza wa gave them food and took away the concept or the the the, the fear of or the aspect of drought and famine and starvation and hunger from them and that is also something which is extremely, um, extremely important. Okay. Um, okay. Also, one of the one of the questions that we have here is. <clears throat> There were some companions who, who saw some of the pebbles or stones that were used to pelt the army of the elephant, right? So that's also something which is a deeper level of tafsir that we mentioned, the narrations that you find in the books of tafsir, of how Aisha radiallahu anha, for example, mentioned that she saw some of the people when she was a young girl in Mecca who 
happened to be from the army of Abraham who were, who were blinded from that or, or, or suffered from uh, being from that army. Or that they said, or some of them said that they saw the stones, the pebbles that were used to destroy the army, that some of it still survived even after the Prophet comes with Islam, which is some 40, 45, 50 years after that incident. Uh, the first verse of Surah Humaza, the curse and warnings are going to which group of people? Right? And we have different options. The hypocrites from Medina, who are the hidden enemies of Islam, those who do not fear the punishment of the hereafter, as the Surah begins with the curse and warning of a punishment, those who lie and mock generally. Right? And, and sometimes, you know, like uh, some of those other groups will be included in that, but generally it is speaking about those who lie and mock. But it could be said also that some of them are the hypocrites and some of them are people who obviously therefore do not fear the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's like a number of um, a number of the questions that we have. Uh, what is hutama in Surah Al-Humaza? What is hutama? Right, hutama, what is the meaning of hutama? Is it the people who are thrown in the fire? Is it the name of a specific valley in the fire? Or is it one of the names of the how fire? Or a description of the how fire? And that's what we said is a stronger opinion. Even though some of the scholars uh, were of the view that Al-Hutama was a, a, a particular part of the fire or, or something else, the correct view amongst the scholars is that Hutama is one of the descriptions of the fire, one of the names that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to the fire. Okay. Surah Al-Asr. Why does Allah Azza wa Jal use a qasam here? Why does Allah take an oath at the beginning? Because it was amongst the ways of the Arabs and their manners of eloquence. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to establish the complete evidence upon his creation. Right? And that's one of the things that Allah Azza wa Jal takes, takes from the, uh, the Arabs and the way that they would speak and the manners of eloquence and the manners of, in which they would speak and the, in which they would have their literature and their poetry. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala incorporates it in the Quran because clearly the Quran is meant uh, to follow in the Arabic language and to follow the way of the Arabs. So uh, that's like just some of the questions from, from the exam. I have here a list of the uh, exam results as well. And I just want to read out the first uh, like kind of top exam results that we have here. So in first position, we have actually three in uh, three people in joint first position. They got more or less every question right except for one. So they had a exam grade of 97.5%. 97.5%, mashallah, tabarakallah. The first, uh, I mean, there's three in the same position. Uh, the three are Latifa Binuyo from Qatar, uh, Sumiya Abdul Majid from the UK, and Sabah. Yasin Siddiq from the UK. So, mashallah, may Allah Azza wa reward you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, may Allah Azza wa make it good for you as well. So, that's amazing. So, you guys like kind of like you got some 97.5%. Then, in, 90, in second place, in joint second place, we have five people, five people who were joint second place and they got a grade of 95%. So, 975 was the first grade, the second grade was 95 percent and for that we have uh, Qazi Azim Ahmed from the UK, Madiam Tariq from the United Arab Emirates, uh, Firoza Irani bint Husseini from the USA, Musarrat B from Canada, and Sumaira Wasti from the UK as well. And then in joint third, we have 
one, two, three, four, five, six people in joint third. Six people in joint third within with a grade of ninety two point five percent, and that is uh, Dina Taba from Jordan, Imran Khan from India, Amreen Shah from, from the UK, Lisa Aslam from the UK, Kuya uh, Kuti Jamila Bibi from Singapore, and Hanifa Rafiq Abdul Hakim from the US of A. So Jazakumullah Khair, um, that's like all the kind of exam results that I have. Those are the top marks. Um, but inshallah ta'ala, I think that everyone probably did uh, quite well. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. And may Allah azza wa make this a means of us uh, improving in our knowledge and coming closer to the tafsir of, of the Quran. So um, we're going to begin inshallah ta'ala this year with the tafsir of Surah Al-Zalzala. And as we did kind of like last year, there will be times when we will do some uh, methodology of tafsir. There will be times when we will go through another book of tafsir in the sense that we will look at the life of a scholar of tafsir and their methodology in their work of tafsir. Um, and one of the things that I do want to do, inshallah ta'ala, uh, but I would rather do this, inshallah, once we um, once we go back to a situation where, inshallah, we're in the masjid and, and we have people, you know, together, we're kind of like, we have students, I have students in front of me as well. But one of the things that I would like to do is go through some of the other sciences that are related to the Quran. So we did, for example, the science of Qira'at, we did an introduction to the science of Qira'at. Those kind of specials, I think, are, are important, inshallah, especially for some of the uh, some of the sciences and some of the, the the associated fields of knowledge regarding the Quran and Tafsir that we don't really hear much about today. So, for example, one of them would be, uh, as we've alluded to before, is Ar-Rasm wal-Wad-Dabt, which is the science of the script of the Quran right, and how to write the Quran and how that developed over time. And because it has a very uh, big connection with the the science of Qiraat, Qiraat and the science of the writing and the script of the Quran are very closely related, right? And you should know the reason why, because in order for a qira'a, for a, for a qira'a to be mutawatir and accepted and read by, it must have, it must be in accordance to the script of Uthman radiallahu an, the Uthmani script, which is the script that Uthman radiallahu an told the companions to keep the Qur'an upon. Because Uthman radiallahu an told them to write the Qur'an with the script of Quraysh. And the lugha of Quraysh and the way that the Quraysh used to speak because the Quran was revealed to the Prophet So therefore, it has a very close link to the science of uh, of Qiraat. Also, for example, one of those sciences is Ilmul Waqful Ibtida, which is the science of starting and stopping. When can you pause midway in the Quran, in the middle of a sentence? When do you pause? How do you pause? And where do you start off again? That's a science. There is a science behind that. It's not just when you lose a breath or you, you run out of breath, you just stop. And then, you know, when you want to start again, you move back a, a word or two and then you carry on. I mean, that's like the very simplistic way of, of describing how you start and stop. But there is actually a whole science behind it. And there is a whole, uh, you know, there is a whole knowledge and, and books have been written on this topic as well. So inshallah ta'ala, I hope that over this year at some point, um, we will be able to do some of that as well. But for today, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to begin with uh, Surah Al-Zalzala. Surah Al-Zalzala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Iza zulzilatil ardu zilzalaha. Wa akhrajatil ardu athqalaha. Wa qalal insanu malaha. Yawma idhin tuhadithu akhbaraha. بِأَنَّ رَبَّكَ أَوْحَالَهَا يَوْمَئِذٍ يَصْطُرُ النَّاسُ أَشْتَاتًا لِيُرَوْا أَعْمَالَهُمْ 
فمن يعمل مثقال ذرة خيرا يره ومن يعمل مثقال ذرة شرا يره So this is the 99th surah of the Quran and before we begin actually uh, let me just ask if there's any questions so does anyone have any questions regarding the exam or um, anything that we just mentioned in the introduction anything to do with the portal maybe or anything to do with the Jalalain series anything that you have if you have any questions regarding that please let me know otherwise inshallah let, let, we'll begin and if you have any questions just send them to me and inshallah I will I will deal with them uh, shortly as, as and when they come through so Surah Zalzala is the 99th Surah of the Quran right? and we're still we're still very much towards the, the short Surahs of the Quran and if you remember uh, I think at the very beginning probably in year one we spoke about how in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the Quran wasn't divided in the way that we're accustomed to it being divided now so we're used to the Quran being divided into ajza, right? juz there's 30 ajza in the Quran in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu the Quran wasn't compiled in that way and so therefore the companions didn't have this concept of ajza the concept of ajza and the concept of a rubah you know these like quarters in the Quran and these eighths in the Quran that you find is something which comes later it is said for example uh, one opinion is that it was in the time of Hajjaj ibn Yusuf the famous governor for the Umayyads that it was during his time that he in, uh, instituted this in the Umayyad times. That's when you had this new system of having ajza and dividing the Quran into 30 parts and each juz, each part into you know eighths and quarters and so on. That's something which comes later. How did the companions understood, understand the division of the Quran? They had their own way. They had the sab'ut tiwal, which were the seven long surahs. They had the mathani, which are the oft-repeated surahs. They have, they have all of these other ones. And then what they have is the mufassal. And the mufassal are the shortest surahs of the Quran that basically Mufassal means they're separated by Bismillah Rahman Rahim. So they're shorter. They're called Mufassal because they're separated very often because they become shorter and shorter and shorter. And those short surahs of the Quran begin with Surah Qaf. Right? And some scholars said Surah Hujurat. And both of them are next to one another. But the, the majority opinion is that they start with Surah Qaf. And then those Mufassal are divided into three themselves. So you have the Tiwalul Mufassal, which is the long Mufassal. Right? So from Qaf to Nas is the Mufassal. From Qaf, which is towards the end of the 26th juz of the Qur'an, all the way to the end of the Qur'an are the Mufassal. Those Mufassal are then divided into further three categories, subcategories. The first is the long Mufassal, which is from Qaf all the way to Amma Yitasa'anun. So all of 27th juz, all of 28th juz, all of 29th juz, these are the Tiwal al-Mufassal, the long Mufassal. And then Amma Yitasa'anun, which is the beginning of the 30th juz, from there up until Surah Wadduha, so at the end of Surah Layl, those are called the Usatul Mufassal, the middle Mufassal. And then the ones at the end from Duha to Nas, which is where we're still on in that portion of the Quran, that is called the Qisar Al-Mufassal. And if you look at the short Mufassal, right, they are the short ones, so they get smaller and smaller and smaller. And so if you look at, for example, the old books of Hadith, if you look at Bukhari and Muslim, if you look at how the companions, radiallahu anhu majma'in, when they're asked to describe the length of the prayers of the Prophet, sallallahu wasallam, and what he would recite, in those prayers, in his loud prayers, this is the terminology that they use. So in Fajr, he would read from the Tiwar al-Mufassal, from Surah Qaf up until Amayt Sa'arun. One of those surahs, those surahs, that bunch of surahs there, that batch, that's what he would choose to recite from. And that's what he would often do, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Are there exceptions to that rule? Of course there are exceptions to that rule, because we know in the famous in the famous hadith, in the authentic hadith, that on Friday mornings, one of the things that he would read was from Surah Sajda. 
right? And Surah Sajda isn't from those Mufassal. So yes, there are exceptions to that, but this is a general rule, a general rule as to how the Prophet would read. Then in the Isha prayer, he would read from the middle Mufassal. His Isha prayer would be from Ammayt al-Sa'alun up until from, uh, up until Wal-Layli, right? And then in Maghrib, he would read from the Qisar al-Mufassal. And this is his norm. This is what he would normally do. Yes, sometimes he reads from other places. Sometimes he does other. But this is the general rule. And one of the benefits of this that the scholars mention is that they say it was a way in which to teach people that they would learn the Quran from the Prophet ﷺ. And there are authentic narrations, for example, that some of the companions said because one of the common surahs that he would read وسلم, on Jumu'ah on a Friday is Surah Qaf. And you have authentic narrations that the companions say, I, we memorize Surah Qaf from the Jumu'ah prayer of the Prophet ﷺ, because he's reading week in, week out, week in, week out, and so you memorize it, right? Just like many people who, for example, you know, maybe don't memorize much of the Quran, have memorized Surah A'la and Ghashia, because every time they go for Eid prayer, for Jumu'ah prayer, those are the surahs of the Quran that are being repeated over and over again. And so there is a hikmah, there is a wisdom in the Prophet ﷺ doing this. And if a person was to just focus on those surahs, Imam, especially in the masjid, as people are listening or you're doing it at home with your children, you're learning and you're memorizing from those surahs. Maghrib, you take, take the Qisar al-Mufassal, Isha, the Usat al-Mufassal, and for Fajr from the Tiwal al-Mufassal. Right? And that's something which then helps you to understand how the Prophet ﷺ used to do this. So we're still in the Qisar al-Mufassal, we're still in those surahs, that are considered to be from the shortest chapters of the Quran and they continue up until Surah Al-Duha. So Surah Al-Zalzala is the 99th Surah of the Quran and it's known by a number of names uh, within the books of Hadith and Tafsir. Uh, from those names and, and you know, just as a quick reminder as we mentioned before, there are names for Surahs that the Prophet gave and usually those surah names then stuck because the Prophet ﷺ called them in that way. And then there are other surahs that weren't given a name. There's no authentic hadith that speaks about a name for them. So the scholars give them names. The scholars and who came after them, or from the companions and those who came after them, give them names. And they do that in a number of ways. Sometimes, as we said, it's the whole first verse, as we will see here as well, or part of the first verse, or a word from the first verse, uh, or something else. Uh, so from, from the names is Surah Zalzala, which is the famous one, and that's what's mentioned. That's how this surah is referred to by Imam Al-Tabari in his tafsir, Imam Al-Baghawi in his tafsir, Ibn Atiyah in his tafsir, Imam Al-Nasai mentions it as well in his famous Sunan, right? His Sunan Al-Nasai, and so that's a common name, a famous name for the surah is Surah Zalzala. The second name by which this surah is known by is the first verse, Surah Ida Zulzilatil Ardu Zilzala. And as we've seen over the past couple of years, it's very common. One of the ways that the old, the, the, the Salaf, the scholars of the past, would refer to surahs that weren't given a specific name by the Prophet ﷺ is that they would just give, call it by its first verse. Right? And that's very common. Surah Ida Jaa Nasrullah Al Fat, Surah Qul Huwallahu Ahad, Surah Tabbat Yada Abi, and so on. That's very common, and you find this especially in the books of, of Hadith, in the old books of Hadith. Right? Now, obviously, nowadays, the surah's names have kind of become stable, they've become constant, everyone kind of knows they've settled, and everyone's kind of agreed on them. But the reason why I like to go through this at the beginning of each surah is to show you how, actually that wasn't the case in the time of the scholars of hadith, in the time of Bukhari and Muslim and these scholars, or before them, or even after them in the times of uh, At-Tabari and Qurtubi and others. 
Uh, the second name, therefore, is the first verse. Surah Ida Zulzilat al Ardu Zilzalaha. This is what is this is the name that is used by Imam al Bukhari, Rahimahullah, in his in his Sahih, and Imam al Suyuti, Rahimahullah Taala, in his work of Tafsir, also refers to it as Surah Ida Zulzilat al Ardu Zilzalaha. Al Imam al Tirmidhi, Rahimahullah, in his Jami' uh, refers to it as Surah Ida Zulzilat al Ard, right? Which is also common. One of the things that they do, the scholars of Tafsir, is that they mention part of the first verse, rather than all of the first verse. Sometimes, especially if the verse is long, they will mention only a portion of it. So, Surah Ida Zulzilat al-Ard is the name given to it by Imam al-Tirmidhi, rahimahullah ta'ala. Another name that it is known by is an even shorter version of the first verse, which is Surah Ida Zulzilat. So, just the first two words of the Surah. And this is also mentioned by Imam al-Tabari. So, Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah, and this shows you um, this is one of the ways that you know that the surah names haven't been settled. That sometimes a single scholar will refer to the same surah in more than one way, with two different names, showing you that the name hasn't been settled upon. So Imam al-Tabri, it's reported that he said, uh, he called this name when he writes in his tafsir that the, the, the surah is surah zalzala, he refers to it as surah zalzala, and he also refers to it as surah idha zulzilat. And often the way that that's done is at the beginning of the tafsir of the surah and the end. So at the beginning, he will say, for example, and this is an example, I don't remember if it's exactly for this surah, but generally by way of example, the tafsir of surah to zalzala. And then at the end, after he finishes the tafsir of the surah, he says, and this is the ending of the tafsir of surah, ida zulzilat. Right? So he's mentioned it in two names, which shows you that the naming, number one, isn't such a major issue amongst the scholars. It's not like something which they consider to be like you have to have only one name and that's what it has to be. That wasn't the case in that time because they referred to the same surah in a number of ways, right? And that's easier in some places like here because it's something which everyone understands. And in some places it is slightly harder. Harder in the sense that because the names are not so obvious. So when I say to you, surah, surah to zalzala, ida zulzilat al-ard, ida zulzilat, you all know that it's exactly the same surah that I'm referring to. But now what if the surah has a number of different names? So I say, for example, Surah Al-Mala'ika. Right? Can anyone tell me? And for those of you that, um, that attended Tafsir Jalalain, you would have taken this away from it, inshallah. Which surah is called Surah Al-Mala'ika in the Quran? Anyone tell me? Just, just type it in and send it to me. Which surah of the Quran is also known as Surah Al-Mala'ika? And the point that I'm trying to make here is that they that but the scholars themselves would know that a surah has a number of names, right? So um, Uwais uh, mentions correctly Surah Fatir. So Surah Fatir in the Quran, which is towards the end of the 22nd juz of the Quran, the one before Surah Yasin. Surah Fatir, for example, if you were to read uh, a Tirmidhi, a Jami' Al-Tirmidhi, Imam Al-Tirmidhi's book of Hadith, which is which is this one here? That's the explanation of a Tirmidhi. A Tirmidhi, when he goes through his book of Tafsir, go through his chapters of Tafsir, and look at he begins with Baqarah, Fatiha Baqarah, and he goes through. Come when you get to Surah Fatir, what does he call it? He doesn't call it Surah Fatir. He says Tafsir Surah Al Malaika, the Tafsir of the Surah of the Angels, right? Because Allah Azza wa begins the Surah by describing the angels, so it's easy sometimes because all of the names are similar. And not so easy at other times, but the scholars would know this because it was commonly known by those names. Those names now are not so common anymore because, as we've said, we've kind of settled on other names for it. So Imam al-Tabari and others, even Kathir does the same thing, Al-Qurtubi, others will do the same thing. Sometimes they refer to a surah by more than one name. 
right? Or sometimes, for example, Imam al-Bukhari mentions one name for the surah, and Ibn Hajar, rahimahullah, in his explanation in Fath al-Bari, he will give another name for it as well, refer to the same surah in a different way, which shows you, and Imam Ibn Hajar and, and these scholars are 8th, 9th century scholars now. So for many hundreds of years, that continued. It's only when printing became very prevalent and everyone kind of had, you know, like mass printing of Qur'ans and so on, that the names of the Quran, the surahs kind of settled to what they are today. So surah Ida Zunzilat is mentioned by Imam Tabari and also how Al-Ibn Kathir, Imam Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala refers to this surah as well. So surah Ida Zunzilat is mentioned by Imam Tabari and Ibn Kathir rahimahullah. Another name for this surah is Surah Zulzilat. So the first name was Azzalzara. This is Zulzilat. So it's taken from the second word of the first verse of the surah. Ida Zulzilat. This is Surah Zulzilat. And this is mentioned by Ibn Ashur rahimahullah ta'ala in his tafsir. In his tafsir. One of the nice things about uh, Ibn Ashur's tafsir, if you read it, is he often goes through the varying names that these surahs are known by. He, that's something which he pays attention to. And it's not something which, which all of the scholars of tafsir do in their tafsir. So Ibn Kathir rahimahullah, doesn't often mention the, the various names by which they're known by. And again, that's po possibly because during his time, it was just very common to refer to surahs by the first verse or part of it and so on. But Ibn Ashur, because he's he's much more contemporary, he, he, wasn't, uh, he didn't live so long ago, rahimahullah ta'ala, uh, in our time, obviously, that had changed. So one of the things that he does do in his tafsir, which is nice, is that he will mention those different uh, opinions of tafsir. And the last name that it is known by, so that's one, two, three, four, five, the sixth name that it is known by, so there are six names for this surah, is Surah Zilzal, Surah Zilzal, And this is mentioned by As-Sakhawi, rahimahullah ta'ala. He mentions Az-Zalzala and Az-Zilzal. Az-Zalzala and Az-Zilzal, and both of them are words for earthquake. Both of them mean earthquake. This surah is a, uh, a Makki surah in the opinion of the majority of the scholars of tafsir. So this is one of those surahs where we don't have um, ijma', we don't have consensus, we don't have full agreement amongst the scholars of tafsir. It is a surah, however, that the majority considered to be a Makki revelation. Right? And as we said before, and that's one of the specials we did when we spoke at some detail concerning the difference between Makki and Madani and the difference of opinion amongst the scholars. Uh, as to how you differentiate between a Makki and Madani. Right? And we said concerning whether it's to do with or the place that they revealed or the time frame that they revealed and all of that. We mentioned the difference of opinion amongst the scholars of Tafsir. Uh, it is a Makki surah in the opinion of a number, in the majority of the scholars of Tafsir. Uh, Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhuma, Mujahid, uh, who's the famous student of Ibn Abbas, Ata'a, rahimahullah. And it's the position that was chosen by a number of the scholars of Tafsir, such as Al-Baghawi and Ibn Kathir and Al-Imam Al-Shawkani, alayhim rahmatullah. Right? It is a position that was chosen by a number of them. And today, if you were to look at most Qur'ans, I think even the translations and so on, they would have Surah Az-Zalzala down as a Makki Surah. But some of the um, scholars of the past were of the position that it is a Madani Surah. And this was reported by Qatada and Muqatil and Az-Zuhri and Ibn Hazm, rahimahullah ta'ala, the famous scholar of the Zahiri Madhab. He was also of the opinion that this is a Madani Surah. It is a Madani Surah. It consists of eight verses. Now there are a number of hadith uh, that are mentioned concerning this Surah. Some of them are authentic and some of them there is a difference of opinion over regarding their authenticity. 
So one of them, or the first of them, is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Amr, radiyallahu anhuma. Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As, radiyallahu anhuma. He said that a man once came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and he said, O Messenger of Allah, teach me from the Qur'an. Teach me what to read from the Qur'an. Right? And remember that many of the people that come to the Prophet, especially from the Bedouins, the people who come from the desert and so on, are illiterate. So the only way they learn the Qur'an is by the oral method. They can't read and it can't be written for them. They learn from the oral method. And that is why the recitation of the Qur'an and the learning of the Qur'an, the memorization of the Qur'an and its recitation has always been an oral tradition. Yes, we read from the from the physical Qur'an and you have these Qur'ans now that are like color-coded for giving you tajweed rules and so on. That's something which is like, which is which is okay and fine and helps you. And clearly having the Qur'an there and reading from the Qur'an is, is uh, virtuous in its own way. What I'm speaking about is not that issue of reading the Qur'an, the reward of reading the Qur'an. I'm talking about how it's taught in its recitation, meaning in its tajweed and its rules. It has always been an oral tradition because when Allah Azza wa Jal taught the Prophet ﷺ through the Qur'an, he didn't give it to him in a physical book. It was taught orally, in the oral tradition, by verbally by Jibreel ﷺ. And when the Prophet ﷺ taught it to the companions, it wasn't written immediately. Yes, the Prophet ﷺ had scribes who would write it down, but they would take not from what was written, but rather from how it was recited. And so that's how they learned the Qur'an. And the people who come and learn from them, they also learn from how the companions recite the Qur'an. And they take from their oral recitation rather than from something which is written. And look at that well-known hadith I think that most of us are probably aware of, have heard of before, when the Prophet said, whoever wants to read the Qur'an in the way that it was revealed, then let him follow the recitation of who? Ibn Ummi Abd. Who is Ibn Ummi Abd? Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Radiyallahu anhu arda. Right? That's what the Prophet is saying, which shows you. He's not saying read it from the Quran because they had scribes and people writing it down on parchments and on wood bark and on cloth and so on. That's not how you learn the Quran. The Quran is always read by the oral tradition. That's why when Uthman an, in his khilafah, when he sends different, the mushaf to different parts of the, uh, the Muslim world so that they could all unite on a single recitation of the Quran, who sends along with each copy of the Quran a companion to teach the people how to recite it as well. Because by sending the book by itself, the Quran, it wouldn't have been sufficient. wouldn't have given them that ability. And that's an important point to remember because one of the common mistakes and one of the, the, the you know, the kind of like the calamities of our time is that we've lost the importance of that oral tradition or we've become kind of negligent of it or we've become unmindful of it. And so now we have people who think that they can, they read the Quran and they learn the Quran simply from um, you know, from, from the Quran, from reading it physically or from reading it from, from the book or just uh, just just uh, basing it on the color-coded tajweed rules or they learn the science of tajweed with its rules and in its, in its uh, theoretical form, but they never practiced, they never read to a sheikh, they never went through the oral side of it, the implement, implementation side of it. And the Quran is only done by the oral way. And that's why there are certain... Um, rulings of tajweed, and I'm, I'm kind of, I know I'm going off on, on a tangent now, but especially if you were to do qira'at, and even in the in the tajweed of hafs, there are certain things in the rulings of tajweed that if you were to read them, never from reading them could you apply them correctly, because the way that they're written cannot be read. The way that it is explained in writing cannot be read. And the only way that you understand how it is read is by learn, learning from the mouth of a teacher. 
who's, who will say to you that this is how my teacher explained it and his teacher before him. And that's why we have in the Quran the ijazah that takes you back from you all the way to the Prophet And what that's basically saying is that you're going through all of these illustrious imams and scholars and Quran and students of Quran all the way back to the Prophet the companions and so on. And that's because the Quran was always meant to be read in that way. And that's something which is important. It's important for us to make sure that we're reading the Quran correctly. It's especially important if you have children and you want them to start learning the Quran. A common mistake now is that we don't understand how this works. right? And we think now we can just use other things, a book or maybe, and there's nothing wrong with listening, but even listening to something using a computer program until you have that teacher who's fine-tuned to listening and can tell the difference and can make that fine-tuning to someone's tajweed, it doesn't give you the exact same result. And that is the difference between when you listen to someone and a trained ear can tell between someone who actually has studied tajweed correctly as to opposed to someone who hasn't. Even though that person may, for example, be qualified in tajweed. They've read the books, they've done the courses, they've you know, got 100% in their exams and so on. They've, there are people who have memorized the poetry of, of, of tajweed. But if you were to listen to them, they couldn't read with tajweed because it wasn't meant to be studied in that way. And that's why it is, it is very important to remember when we seek knowledge, it's not just how the knowledge that you learn, it is the manner in which it is learned, right? And that's not just, by the way, for, for Tajweed, I'm not just picking on people who do Tajweed or whatever Quran. Hadith is exactly the same now. People don't know anymore how to read Hadith and study Hadith. That's People think it's easy. You just pick up a book of Hadith. and That's not how Hadith was studied. If you learn the, how the scholars study Hadith, and how the scholars teach hadith, and if there are scholars of hadith in your community who learn and read hadith and teach hadith, you won't ever find them doing it in the way that sometimes we do. They, there is a system to this. There are rules and principles that they use to make that knowledge easy and accessible for themselves and for their students. And that's why these uh, methods of seeking knowledge are just as important as the knowledge themselves. Anyway, this hadith of Abdullah ibn Amr, radiyallahu anhu, he says that a man came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he said, O Messenger of Allah, teach me the Qur'an. Teach me to read from the Qur'an. So the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to him, learn three of the surahs that begin with Alif Lam Ra. Learn Iqra Thalatham Min Dhati Alif Lam Ra. Meaning from the surahs that begin with those letters. Alif Lam Ra. The, Prophet said, the man said to the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Kabirat Sinni, Washtadda Qalbi, Wagaludha Lisani. O Messenger of Allah, I am old in age. And my heart is hard, meaning that it's not something which can bring or take new knowledge. Can't learn easily. And my tongue is stiff, meaning that I can't read a lot. I can't, you know, pronounce a lot of these words, memorize the Quran. I'm very old in age. The Prophet said to him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, therefore read from that Hamim, from the surahs that begin with Hamim, which are shorter than the surahs that begin with Alif Lam Ra. But again, the man said the same thing. Oh, Messenger of Allah, I'm old. Oh, Messenger of Allah, I can't learn. My tongue is tied. I can't, it's too tough. You can't read those surahs. So he said, then read three from the surahs of the Musabbihat. The Musabbihat are the surahs that begin with Sabbaha, or Yusabbihu Lillahi, Sabbaha Lillahi. Those surahs that you find towards the end of the 27th Jews and the 28th Jews. Read from them. They're shorter. Learn from them. Again, the man said the same thing. He said, I can't read from them either. So rather than the man said, when he saw what the Prophet was telling him, he said, O Messenger of Allah, teach me a surah that is comprehensive. One surah that is comprehensive. So the Prophet said to him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, then I will teach you إِذَا زُلْزِلَةِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَالَهَا And so he taught the man, he read it to him, the man. The man then said, by the one who sent you with the truth, 
This is all that I can learn and I won't do anything else. And he left. Right? And this is often the case with the Bedouins who would come. Right? They would learn one thing and then they're off back in the desert. They don't live in Medina and they're gone. The Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, after the man left, he said, This man will be successful. This man will be successful. And the word Ruwajil is the uh, small form or the junior form of the word Rajul. Rajul means man. Ruwajil can mean a small man or it can be a term of endearment. Right? A term of endearment that this is a man who will be successful, a man who will be successful. And then the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, call him back. So the man came back and then the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told him about Eid Al-Adha and the benefits of Eid Al-Adha and how Allah made this day of celebration and so on. And he taught him the, the rulings of Eid Al-Adha and some of the other rulings of Islam and, and the hadith goes on. This hadith you find in uh, the Sunan of Abi Dawood and Imam Al-Nasai mentions it in his Sunan Al-Kubra. So the Sunan Al-Nasai that we read or that most of us know of is the Sunan Al-Sughra, it's the small Sunan. Imam Al-Nasai has two works. One is the major Sunan, his big Sunan, which has many more thousands of hadith, than the smaller Sunan, which is a selection from the big Sunan. And it's also mentioned by Imam Ahmad, rahimahullah, in his Musnad. And this is a hadith that scholars differed over its authenticity. Some of them said it is Hassan, and some of them said it is weak. Right. So there is a difference of opinion concerning that. The virtue of the surah, therefore, from that surah, however, would be the statement of the Prophet wasallam that this is a surah which is jami'ah. It is a surah which is comprehensive. Right. That's a, an attribute of the surah, a virtue of the surah. When the man only wanted one surah, the Prophet wasallam chose this surah for him. In another hadith, the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhuma, uh, collected in a Tirmidhi. Uh, the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Surah Ida Zulzila is equal to half the Qur'an. Qul huwa Allahu ahad is equal to a third of the Qur'an. Qul ya ayyuhal kafirun is equal to a quarter of the Qur'an. And again, this is a hadith in which there is a difference of opinion. Some of the scholars said the authentic part of the hadith is Qul huwa Allahu ahad being equal to a third of the Qur'an, as we know, that's authentic. Qul ya ayyuhal kafirun being equal to a quarter of the Qur'an, as we know, that's also authentic, as we mentioned when we studied the tafsir of Surah Al-Kafirun, but the wording, the addition of this particular surah of the, the Zulzilat Al-Ardu Zilzalaha being equal to half of the Qur'an is inauthentic. That's the weak part of that, of that narration. But that is a, another hadith that is mentioned uh, regarding this particular surah of the Qur'an. In another hadith, a hadith of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, again, it is in a Tirmidhi and Ahmad, and again, uh, some of the scholars said it is weak, and others said uh, elsewise, uh, the Prophet ﷺ said one day to a man, have you married? The man said, no, O Messenger of Allah. Nor do I have, O Messenger of Allah, what I can marry with, meaning I can't afford to get married. I don't have anything for a dowry. The Prophet said to him, ﷺ, do you not have Qul Ahad? Don't you memorize Qul Ahad? He said, yes. He said, that is a third of the Quran. He said, do you not have, إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ Have you not memorized that? He said, yes. He said, that is equal to a quarter of the Qur'an. He said, have you not memorized The man said, yes. He said, that is also equal to a quarter of the Qur'an. He said, have you not memorized إِذَا زُلْزِلَةِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَالَهَا He said, yes. So he said, that is also equal to a quarter of the Qur'an. Tazawwaj, tazawwaj. So get married, get married. Meaning that you have plenty that you can offer to a potential spouse as in terms of dowry. And again, the virtue of 
from this hadith of the surah would be either Zulzira this time not being equal to half the Quran but being equal to a quarter of the Quran and this narration also is is weak according to many scholars and other scholars said that it is acceptable and as mentioned by At-Tirmidhi and others another hadith this time the hadith of Mu'adh ibn Abdullah al-Juhani radiyallahu an in, in, in the sunan of Abi Dawood he says that a man from the tribe of Juhina came and told the Prophet وسلم, or said that he heard the Prophet read in the morning Surah Ida Zulzila twice. Surah Ida Zulzila twice. He said, so I don't know if the Prophet forgot, meaning he read them in both rak'ahs. In Fajr, first rak'ah, Ida Zulzila. Second rak'ah, again Ida Zulzila. He says, the companion, I don't know if the Prophet forgot or whether he did that intentionally, meaning I don't know if he forgot what he read in the first verse and therefore he did it again or whether he did it intentionally. And a number of the scholars, and this is an authentic hadith, and a number of scholars are of the opinion, therefore, based on that hadith, that it is a sunnah. And one narration of this hadith is that this was when the Prophet was traveling, not when he was in Medina, but when he was on one of his journeys. That it is the sunnah at times that you uh, read for Salatul Fajr, either Zulziratil Ardu, twice, in the first rak'ah, and in the second rak'ah, that was the position of some of the scholars as well, based upon this hadith of the Prophet wasallam. Uh, the final hadith uh, that I'll mention, inshallah, and then maybe we'll, we'll take a few questions and, and end here, is the hadith of Aisha, radiallahu anha, um, that is, uh, its, it's, it's, its origin is based in, in a hadith in Sahih Muslim. And that is that the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, stood one night for the prayer, meaning for qiyamun layl. And he began the salah by two short, quick rak'ahs, and then he prayed eight rak'ahs, and then he prayed witr. And that's one of the things that you find in Qiyamul Layl. One of the things that the Prophet would do is he would begin by praying two quick short rak'ahs. And one of the benefits of doing that that the scholars mention is that it acclimatizes your body, it makes it easier for you to get into Qiyamul Layl, to wake up and to start with a long rak'ah, 20 minutes, half an hour, 10 minutes, 15 minutes of standing, is difficult for the body. But if you pray two quick short rak'ahs first, you've woken up, you've energized yourself, you're ready, and then you do the normal qiyam layl that you're going to do. So the Prophet would, would sometimes do this, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In another wording of the same hadith, she says, radiallahu anha, you pray isha, and then he would pray two quick rak'ahs, and then I would prepare for him his wudu water, the water for his wudu and his siwak, so that he could, he could cleanse himself. And then he would stand, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, in prayer for as long as Allah wished after using the miswak and making wudu he would pray two rak'ahs meaning shua rak'ahs then he would pray eight rak'ahs and he would make them equal in length and then he would pray the witr prayer after that this was all whilst the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was younger in age and then when he became older he would make instead of eight rak'ahs she says that he would pray six rak'ahs and then he would recite he would pray two rak'ahs as he would sit down what, he, what would he read in those two rak'ahs that he would read at the end? He would read, قُلْ يَا الْكَافِرُونَ And he would read, إِذَا زُلْزِلَتِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَالَهَا right? And this is something which is an authentic narration as well. The point of this is that this is a surah the Prophet ﷺ would read. It's a surah that he would encourage other people to read. And there has no doubt an important message and an important lesson that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to take away from this surah. Okay, so inshallah, I think we'll, we'll stop there for today's lesson before we, we start with the first verse. That's kind of like the introduction done. Um, let me just take a couple of the questions. I saw a couple of questions coming up. Um, 
Ray says, when making dua in salah, in sujood, and before giving the tasleem, do you have to follow the recommended process? In order for the dua to be more likely accepted, starting by praising Allah, sending salat upon the Prophet and so on. And generally, no. So if you look at, um, if you look at, for example, the dua in the tasleem, you don't find the Prophet said uh, that you should do this because your whole beginning of the shahud is praising Allah and is sending salat upon the Prophet So when you come to the point of dua, you don't have to repeat that process because it's something which you already did, right? And likewise, when you're in sajda. You've already praised Allah by saying Subhana Rabbi Ala, Subhana Rabbi Ala, Subuhan Quddusun, Rabbul Malaikati Waruh, by speak by mentioning the different du'as that are that are mentioned in the Sunnah, you've already praised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the and the du'as that you're making altogether collectively, the du'as of the salah are like one, right? It's like one single sitting. So just like if you were to sit down and raise your hands and make dua, it is a single sitting. Likewise, the salah is like a single uh, time of making dua. And so you don't necessarily have to repeat that process over and over again, but rather you can just go straight into your dua because at some point in the prayer, you will send salat upon the Prophet and you will uh, praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as you do in the ruku' and the sujood and in the tashahud as well. And Allah azza wa jal knows best. Uh, Riaz asks, if a surah was given its name by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, is there allowed to have other names for it? Yes. Uh, because the name given by the Prophet ﷺ is not meant to be exclusive. But generally what you will find is if the Prophet ﷺ gave it a name, that's usually the name that the scholars will stick to. So for example, um, saying Surah Al-Ikhlas, that's the name that is given. But at the same time, you will find some of the scholars referring to it as Surah Qutullah Ahad. Right? And that doesn't take away from the name of Surah Ikhlas, but it is the first verse is what Allah mentions, it, uh, begins the surah with. So to refer to it as surah Qudhullah Ahad, you know, like we often may do sometimes with our own children, right? So because, you know, if you say to your child, surah ikhlas, they're like, what surah ikhlas, right? A young child, though, if you say, you know, surah Qudhullahu Ahad, right? That's how it begins. Then they understand because they understand that's what, how the surah begins. Right? But if you would say to them, the mu'awwidatin, Maybe they don't know the meaning of that term. So it doesn't mean that you have to stick by that name. But generally what you will find, the scholars in their books and in their works will generally abide by the name if it is well known that the Prophet ﷺ gave it. So for example, Surah Al-Kahf, because it's mentioned in a number of authentic hadith and so on, even though some of the scholars still refer to it by other names, but generally you will find that it's the name that stuck to that surah and it's the name that it's referred to. right? Uh, surah Mulk, for example, and so on. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows uh knows best okay so i think that's all the questions we have i can't see anything else so jazakumullah khair for attending and inshallah ta'ala we'll be back uh same time next week inshallah ta'ala so jazakumullah khairan uh for attending and inshallah ta'ala allah azza wa keeps us keeps you all well and keeps you all safe barakallahu feekum wa sallallahu alayhi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh